Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Welcome this back. This is uh, June 2nd. This is Friday. Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. Uh, we are in 2 Chronicles 7 through 9 and John 13, 1 through 17. So hopefully you are ready to dive into the word. Uh, either you, maybe you already have or you're getting ready to, but we are ready here and uh, looking forward to, to spending some time talking through the text. So some juicy passages here. Juicy passages. Thick. Thick and juicy like a steak, <laughs> like a good steak, like a good steak. Yes. And, uh, or God's word, apparently That's second right. Chronicles seven taste and see that the Lord is good. Speaking of steak, Solomon kills like 150,000 animals in this passage. That's a barbecue. I would love to be a part of no joke, man. Let's do it. Yeah. Chapter seven verses one through 10. I, I, I just was, I read this and I was thinking, man, how amazing must that site have been? Not just for meat lovers. I mean, pita people, <laughs> They would not be happy, but just the the power and the awe and the reverence of the the act of worship that's executed there in the beginning of chapter seven. Yeah, Solomon's start is so strong. It's so it's so powerful to have this full on display of the majesty, the glory, the worthiness of God. I mean, it's awe inspiring to yeah. be sure. Yeah, yeah. By the way, one hundred fifty thousand uh, goats or oxen and, and sheep. If you if you're trying to wrap your mind around that. The Temple Mount is about 40 acres in its its capacity. And if you're like me, you're going, okay, that's helpful, but not really because I don't, I don't own an acre and I couldn't tell you necessarily how big an acre is. Same. But that that's think of your subdivision where you live because that's enough property in track home style to fit about 700 homes on there. Wow. So your neighborhood with 150,000 sheep and oxen around or carcasses and blood of 150,000 sheep and oxen. Mm, less desirable, but go ahead. Yeah. That's that's the scene that takes place here. So much so that they have to build a, a separate courtyard to, to sacrifice these animals. Uh, so overwhelming is the display. And, and the reason why is just the, the extravagance of Solomon's devotion to the Lord. And I think that men, as, as you're listening to this and families, as you're listening to this, is a helpful thing for us to, to be mindful of ourselves and also to teach our kids that God is worthy of extravagance in our offering to him. He's worthy of us going above and beyond and not just hitting the, the bottom layer of that or the lowest rung of the ladder to, to bring him our, our offering. But he wants our first fruits. He wants the best of everything that we have. And Solomon certainly does that. Uh, to an excess here almost with the the number of of animals that he offers to him. Well, to your point, though, it's not excessive because God is worth that and so much more. And I love one of the things that they sing together. It's one of Israel's greatest hits. The refrain is in verse number something, three, for he is good, for his steadfast Mm -hmm. love endures forever. And Mm -hmm. the chronicler in verse six repeats that refrain, not quoting them this time, just kind of referencing it as the foundation, the basis for their thanksgiving to God. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. So why is he worth all of this extravagant worship? He's good. Mm. His steadfast love endures forever. This is the kind of God that he is. He deserves that response. Something that's so good for us to remember and is driven home again in verse 10. If you look at verse 10, it says, On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. Mm. They walked away from worshiping God thankful 
and joyful as a result of that, mindful of all the good things that God had done for them. That's an important thing for us to do, whether it's family worship or coming to church in worship, is that we have a, a joyful gratitude about us. Um, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, there's 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 trials that we're walking to, through, but but there's something about worship that should enjoy that or, or include involve that that gratitude and that that joyfulness when we're mindful of all the good that God has done for us, and we get the benefit of being on the backside of the cross on that too. Mm. Is we get to look back at that and say, okay, there's always reason for us to have a joyfulness about us because of the cross, because we're forgiven, because we don't have to fear condemnation and, and judgment and hell uh, because of Christ and what He's done for us. Amen. We move on in, in verses 11 through uh, 22, and this is God's response to Solomon's prayer. You remember Solomon prayed, you know, Lord, when, when we sin or when we're defeated in battle, uh, if we pray to you, if we repent, hear our prayer. And basically in this text, God says, I, I will. Mm. Uh, if you repent, I will. I will hear your prayer. I will respond. I will be gracious. I will be merciful. I will forgive. My eyes will be open, verse 15. My ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. But... He also says, if, if you're not faithful to me, there's going to be consequences to that. And that's something that's difficult for us sometimes to wrap our minds around when we're in such a grace-saturated culture in, in the gospel. But that understanding of, of there, there are consequences for our sinfulness, and we need to, in some ways, have a healthy fear of God um, in, in that regard and be quick to keep short accounts with him. Yeah, we're even going to get into that in John chapter 13 about some of the ways that we keep short accounts with God. But it's important for you to know, as you're reading through this, remember this in the context of what's happening. This is Old Testament Israel under the Old Covenant. God had a certain arrangement with them. He had a certain dispensation, one might say, of the way that he interacted with them. And this is what it looked like. He gave them blessings for obedience, curses, and consequences for their disobedience. As you, and as a New Testament Christian, read this, you got to be careful not to apply the same metric in your standing with God. Remember, your acceptance is not based on your obedience. It is based on the obedience of Jesus Christ. And consequently, because of that, we can be sure that we have God's favor, his blessing, we have his, um, his justifying righteousness credited to our account. And that doesn't take away the fact that for New Testament Christians, we still suffer consequences when we sin. God says that he's a good father, he'll discipline you, he'll bring pain into your life, but it's not the same as he treated Israel. Keep that in mind as you read today. Super helpful. Absolutely. Sometimes we need to, to bear that in mind, and that's part of what we refer to as hermeneutics, how we read and interpret the Bible, and and, uh, and that's important for us as we're, we're studying the, the scriptures to understand the, the different, Pastor Rod, you use the word dispensations there, and Ooh. we would say as a church that we are a here we go. I'm gonna, Uh-oh. I'm going to throw it out there. Are We're, you sure you want to use this? Absolutely. I was hinting at it. You're saying it. It's who we are. Oof. We are a dispensational church. Wow. Um, we believe in the dispensations, which has so much into it, and maybe that's a topic of a future podcast or sermon series, but... Um, yeah, we, we believe that God dealt with Israel in a specific way at a specific time and that he's dealing with us now as the church in a specific way in a specific time. And in oversimplification, we believe that, that Christ will come back for his bride, the church, and that he will again deal with Israel in the future in a specific way at a specific time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's important, and it does impact the way that we interpret and apply the, the scripture. Chapter 8, chapter eight. this is kind of a, a 30,000-foot view of the successes of King Solomon's reign. Um, what he did, what happened, how he uh, governed, how he ruled, how he exercised authority. Um, he brings up Pharaoh's daughter in verse 11. 
he uh, offers more burnt offerings in verse 12 and following. This is kind of the, the cliff notes of, of Solomon's years as king, and, and yet it, it leaves out some significant things. Um, you may remember from the account in 2 Kings chapter 11 specifically, uh, Solomon multiplies foreign wives, and as God had had warned Israel in in, uh, in previous sections in, in the law and in uh, the wilderness. Hey, careful when you go in there, don't take foreign wives because they will lead your heart astray. Well, that's exactly what happened. Mm, surprise, surprise. Right. And so, and yet the chronicler doesn't put it in there. And in, I think in part because he assumes that we've, we're familiar with those things that we know about Solomon's errors. And so um, it, that's not there. It, it's not, us trying to put lipstick on a pig or, you know, gussy this up or cover over Solomon's error. It's just that that's there in the other portions of scripture. If you want to go find that, you don't have to look far. And I think the chronicler understood that as well. But then in chapter nine, we come to, to Queen Sheba, Queen or the Queen of Sheba, I guess. Her name wasn't Sheba, but she's the Queen of Sheba. And I always was struck, uh, PR, with, with chapter nine, verse four, that there was no more breath in her when she saw all of Solomon's opulence. Yeah, she straight up died. <laughs> Isn't that what that means? <laughs> That's not what that means, obviously. Uh, I want you to know that there's no more breath in her. I love that that phrase because it. Uh, I think that's where we get the term that took my breath away. She was so amazed, so enthralled by Solomon's wisdom and his his kingdom that she was literally awestruck. We use the word awesome today uh, to def- to define something that's good, even if it's media- mediocre good, but. To be something that's truly awesome is something that inspires a deep, profound sense of awe. And I think that's what she's experiencing here. She sees Solomon's glory on display. And we can even taste some of that or see some of it through the pages of Scripture. But she got to see it firsthand. Yeah. Do you think maybe that uh, that song by Berlin, Take My Breath Away, was playing Take in the background? Take my breath that's the away. One that was coming through my Da-na-na. head as you were talking about that. <laughs> it's, just, it's funny. I don't know. if Okay. If you did not think of that song, let us know. But I think all of you out there, if you know that song, you thought of it. Dude, I've, I've got Solomon. Like, they describe his throne with the, like, ivory and the lions. I've got a, a picture of him, like, sitting on his throne all majestic and locking eyes with her. And that, that song is playing in the background. It's probably horrible. I don't think that was the context of what they were going through. But, yeah, okay. I'm yeah. lucky, man. I'm feeling it. And now everybody else does who's listening to the, the podcast. They'll you're, never forget that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Just a couple of notes here, guys. Just, to, you know, we don't, again, just like the cubits we talked about last time, 120 talents of gold. What is that? Because that okay, a lot of gold. 120. That's 25 tons of gold. 25 tons, 50,000 pounds of gold. That's insane. Second uh, Chronicles 9, 22 through 23. It, it, thus, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. In other words, God fulfilled what he told Solomon he would do. Solomon asked for wisdom. We looked at that uh, last couple of podcasts ago. And and here it is. God's saying, I'm, I'm doing it. He did it. And it came to fruition. And people recognized it. One important point to notice, too, here is Solomon's not the point. Solomon's pointing to the point. Solomon's life and his reign was meant to kind of whet the appetite of their messianic expectations. And so a a good Israelite would have seen Solomon's reign or at least read about it and been awestruck and inspired by it. Sheba, or Queen of Sheba rather, is inspired by it. But remember, when Jesus has a time to talk about this later in his ministry, he says something, someone greater than Solomon is here, which is to say, look, I am the fulfillment. Everything that Solomon was was pointing to me. I'm the greater Solomon. So Jesus fulfills what Solomon only hints at. He had glory, but Jesus brings more glory. So as you read your Old Testament, 
Remember, uh, Solomon was wise and successful, but Jesus is the greater Solomon, more wise. He is the wisdom of God, Scripture says, and he was far more successful in that he fulfilled the will of God in perfection. Let that remind you of Christ. Speaking of Christ. <laughs> that was your that was your segue? <laughs> oh, man, we got to practice. Jesus, uh, how about the New Testament reading today? Oh, John 13, 1 through 17, John you mean? John 13, yeah. This is the beginning of what is often referred to as the upper room discourse. And so this is where Jesus is with his followers, uh, his closest followers, that is, in the upper room, observing uh, the Last Supper, which is, was part of that, that, that particular time, the Passover meal that he took and, and made the, the Last Supper. But... We get into this as they come into the the room, as they come into the place where they're going to enjoy the Last Supper together. And uh, it says, when he knew his hour had come there in 13.1 to depart Mm -hmm. out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Um, Loved them to the end of what? Well, it's another way to say this is he loved them to completion. He loved them to the fullest extent of Mm -hmm. his love. Um, and that is the the signal from John, at least, that this is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of the end of, of at least his earthly ministry here. And he's preparing for that. I think it's of note, too, that Jesus knew this. This wasn't happening to him, that he's an active participant in the unfolding of the sovereign plan of God. Mm. He's not running from it. He's aware exactly what's coming, and he's walking with resolute determination towards the cross this whole time. And that involved also what we read about here in the upper room. When they, they come to this, he, he does something that I think is familiar to a lot of us if we've spent any time in the church. And he walks in, and, and you've, I'm sure, heard the illustrations. You know, this was the job for the lowest of low of the household slaves and, and so forth and so on. The, the point of it is Jesus puts himself in the place of the servant, in, in a humble servant at that. And he goes and he gets the, the basin, and he girds himself up for the work that he needs to do. And he gets down, and he starts washing their feet. Um not something that I would necessarily choose to do myself. You know, honestly, when I see some people's feet, I think about Jesus and I think, man, Lord, you are more humble than most people give you credit for. Granted, you always have Philippians too that talks about his ultimate descent into creation and humanity. But to do something like that, on top of the fact that his disciples, many of them, they still don't get it. Like they're just tripping out here. Peter doesn't get it. Peter, one of his preeminent followers is still tripping over the fact that Jesus is washing his feet. He doesn't get what's happening here. Well, not only that, but let's not forget verse two. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Dude. Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hand and oh. that he had come from God, Jesus washes Judas's feet, knowing what Judas is about to go do. And he's he's an enemy. He's an enemy. He's washing his enemy's feet. Judas is sitting there looking at Jesus wash his feet. I can't believe that. I can't fathom that. Right. Right. And then he gets to Peter, and, and there's this interaction between Jesus and Peter. When when Peter says, "Lord, what are you doing? Don't don't wash my feet." Peter's got this level of of embarrassment, of shame about his Lord doing this to his his feet. And and Jesus makes that statement. He says, "Look, unless unless I do this, you have no part of me." And Peter says, "Well, then wash all of me." And Jesus says, "No, it's it's sufficient just that that I wash your feet." And uh, and that that's an interesting interaction there, one that I'd, I've often kind of scratched my head about and thought, okay, what was Jesus really saying there? But Pierre, what, how would you explain this to us in a way that, that helps us understand that interaction between Jesus and Peter? I like how you did that. Hey, I don't understand this. Can you just talk about this and clarify it? <laughs> That's called leadership. <laughs> That's great leadership. <laughs> okay. So in, in verse 10, Jesus tells him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash. So he's making a general statement about their spiritual condition. You've been saved. You've been sanctified. You've been washed by my, his soon-to-be atoning death. 
So you don't need to have yourself washed. You don't get it resaved and walk the altar again and again and again. You only need to do that one time. He does make a caveat, though, except for his feet, it says, in the second part of verse 10. You, need, you don't need to wash again, but you do need to wash your feet. Now, so the idea here is that once you're saved, you don't need to repent and trust Christ again for the salvation that's already been given to you uh, the first time. It doesn't need to be done again. But when it comes to your daily walk, your daily faith journey, you're going to get dirty. You're going to sin. You're going to have polluting thoughts and polluted actions that need to be cleaned. Another way to refer to this is an, another way uh, Another way to think about it would be, I need to repent on a regular basis. At minimum, Jesus is suggesting a daily repentance, uh, but often more than that because we know we sin in a lot of different ways. So Jesus is saying, don't get resaved, but do have a life of repentance because you're going to keep sinning in various ways. Therefore, clean your feet. Yeah, and this is one of those those uh, examples where, where people always are like, oh man, are, are the pastor is going to tell me that I, I have to do this. Because, I mean, Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And then he said in verse 14, plainly, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So at Compass Bible Church, is that going to be part of our regular ongoing? Are we going to wash each other's feet on a regular basis? Introducing Compass Foot Washing Training. Coming up this Sunday. If you're coming, oh, we're not doing that again? No, no, we're not. No, because verse 15, verse 15, he says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I've done to you. Does that mean that if you you shouldn't wash somebody else's feet? No. If if that's your bag and 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 you want to do that for someone, great, do it. I know a lot of people have done that in their weddings and wow. other times. Please um, don't touch my feet, bro. No. It, it will not it will not bless Pastor Rod nor myself for you to come and try to wash our feet. Oh, thank you. So, but there's other things that you can do to to demonstrate the same level of humility. They wash my car, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Take that. Or yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything else for the or. But the, the point is the following the humble service. And we know where Jesus is going with this ultimately. Um, in fact, we'll talk about it on the next episode, that that new commandment that he gives, that we love one another just as he has loved mm, us. So, so good. Make sure you tune in tomorrow for another episode <laughs> of the Daily Bible Podcast with Pastor Rod and Pastor PJ. Please. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.